Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is a replay episode from last year with the brilliant Kate Sevilla. She is currently editor-in-chief of Huffington Post UK and she's the author of How to Work Without Losing Your Mind. The book is relatable and reassuring and it looks at the messy, stressful and sometimes bizarre side of work that everyone experiences but no one really talks about. I really love this book and it's for people who don't necessarily want work to take over their lives. They don't necessarily want to keep striving endlessly necessarily or take over the world. It's for people who simply want to be happier at work every day and who just want to do their work in the best possible way and then enjoy other aspects of their life. I really love that about this book and it really sets it apart from other career books. Hope you enjoy this episode and if you did enjoy it, please do go and leave a little review somewhere. It would be much appreciated. So here it is, and thank you for listening. Your book, How to Work Without Losing Your Mind, A Realistic Guide to the Hell of Modern Work, is so brilliant. And it's not just wise and moving and informative but it's so funny as well oh thank you so much no that means a lot um it was i mean it was a lot of fun to to write it was hard to write but when i got to be funny i was like oh well you know at least i can be funny about this stuff now well i feel like it kind of has to be doesn't it sometimes because what you're talking about is actually really serious work makes up such a massive part of our lives and Mm -hmm. it can be the real mental health downer for a lot of people so i liked that you brought that lightness to it as well yeah, I mean, work is so serious and it it really can just wreak havoc on your life. But then also, if you look at it as with anything, it's also just really dumb. <laughs> like the stuff that we get ourselves worked up about, like it's ridiculous and so, so serious at the same time. So I think if you don't laugh, you'll just be sobbing all the time, right? <laughs> it's so true. And I know it sounds cliche, but as I get older, I def- it definitely becomes easier, I think. You know, you talk yeah. a lot about this in the book, but just the idea of one email ruining your entire week. I don't think I'm in a place where that can happen anymore. And I think you've spoken about getting to that place now where you can leave it unread, but it takes a while, doesn't it? It sure does. I mean, I'm 35 now, 35 and a half, and I'm only now just sort of like really getting to that point where you know, okay, well, if I decide to read this email or read this tweet at, you know, midnight before I'm supposed to be going to bed, probably not going to work out so well for me. Um, And then also, you know, I think you've said this before too, would you take criticism from somebody that you wouldn't take advice from? I think that is something that has helped massively to kind of change my perspective on the, what I let get to me enough and kind of, whereas when I was 21, that definitely would have ruined my entire week, perhaps month. Um, But now, thankfully, with a bit of age and perspective, a little bit more chill. (laughs) And what I found made your book so unique, and we've known each other for so long, I feel like through the internet and offline, but what, what makes you such a great voice on this is, like me, I would say, but even more so, you have moved around in the best possible way, like you've seen the insides of so many companies. And I think it speaks to the modern culture as well, that we don't just have the same job for five years anymore. And I think it makes your book so unique and special that you have been inside all these different places and you're like, here's what I've seen. (laughs) Was it quite fun pulling it all together, all of your different experiences? Yeah, it was really good for perspective and to kind of really see 
what I had experienced, um, everything from, you know, working with the ex Top Gear guys and spending, you know, a few months of my life to sit car manufacturers in the Midlands, um, which is not something I would have ever thought for myself that would happen. But like then working at Google and MSN and that sort of thing, it, it really helped me go, one, yes, the things that you've been through have been difficult and a bit ridiculous. Um, but equally that it's not me. <laughs> like, like I always felt like there was like the right way to do things. And surely these, these big companies, they, they do it correctly. And then when you work enough places and work in enough different roles and the dynamics are different, but there are so many things that are the same, um, being able to write about that and reflect on that in this book was was really helpful to me and therefore <laughs> helpful to some other people that, you know, it's it's not you and it's not just specific to one industry or one type of company or one country even. It's um, work across the board globally and obviously we're much more privileged in, in other places uh, than things that go on in, in different countries. But like, it's hard. Mm. It's really hard. Yeah. And what a relief sometimes. I think we've all found that in many ways where you realize, oh, I'm not broken. The situations I've been in or the work is broken. Society is yeah. fracturing and you kind of think, okay, I don't know if it's me. And it's, it sounds simple, but I know, I know what you mean. It's nice to realize that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a hard thing to kind of learn. I think the biggest lesson I had to learn um, before I could write this book was, you know, what is something you can control and what is kind of down to you and how you react to things and how you process things. Um, like, what are you bringing to the party, you know, mm -hmm. versus, oh, this is completely not me. And this is very much your stuff, their stuff, not my stuff. And that's, uncomfortable <laughs> and difficult and and kind of boring as well <laughs> a lot of this work that we have to do is boring but um yeah it's uh it's been very useful for a perspective shift and your book really taught me some new words in in regards to that and i suppose on that note of reacting to things i don't know how long ago it was now but when the pool closed and yes. that's a nice way of putting it <laughs> You know, a lot of people were owed money, myself included. It was yeah. all a really messy thing. And you handled it so well. And it was such a testament to, I suppose, probably all of this experience you've had leading up to this point. You were just this person who held your head up and sort of dealt with it best you could. And in the book, you talk about containment in terms of these yeah. awful times. Would you be able to speak a little bit about that? I mean, not to be too prying into that situation but just as an example that seems like a good one yeah so when I write about this I think this is in the chapter about kind of like uh mental health and looking after yourself um so containment is not compartmentalization so when you compartmentalize you very much put something in a, a Tupperware of your mind, shut the lid and kind of put that over here and you put this situation over here. Containment is more about uh, boundaries and the kind of boundaries that you hold uh, within yourself. So um, if you're working in an office environment and you know that you have um, issues with anxiety or anger, which a lot of people don't like to talk about, but we get angry, right? And so it's being able to go, okay, I have this stuff, this stuff that belongs to me, and 
it doesn't belong in my colleague's face. It doesn't need to bleed all over the office and to mingle with other people's kind of dark bits as well. It's something that I very much need to contain and to kind of put a border around. And you don't have to lie about it. You can be open about like mental health issues and that sort of thing, but you also don't need to make it your colleagues or your manager's problem. I think if everyone kind of went, okay, I have, I have anxiety, I get angry sometimes, but I know what my triggers are and I know how to look after myself. So it's my responsibility to look after myself the best that I can. Here is this boundary. It might be, you know, you back when we could commute and go into offices, you have a really bad commute and you can feel that you're just on edge and your, your anxiety is really high and you get to the office and you're just like, wow, I should not be in public today. <laughs> and that's happened to me. And sometimes it might just be going, hey, you know what, uh, manager, I'm, I'm not having a good day so far. And I think it would probably be best if I just kind of went back home and did, did my work from home today. And if they're kind of aware that sometimes that happens, then we'll go, yep, no problem. You know, hopefully mm -hmm. fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. But this idea of containing your own stuff and not letting it kind of run amok like gremlins <laughs> all over your office or even virtually, right? Because we've all kind of got into some weird, either social media or Slack-based, email-based uh, messiness with people. Uh, so I think if, if all of us could maybe, you know, contain our stuff a bit, a bit better, that would probably help create a, a better working environment. Um, yeah. And it's something that. that I kind of had to deal with uh, at the pool <laughs> yeah. well, when all of that happened it's such good advice and it's it's really it's that like maturity to to the workspace I suppose because I know in the book you talk a bit about the phrase bringing your full self to work and <laughs> in in premise like I've always gone along with that and been like yeah we yeah. you know we should be able to be ourselves we should be able to say who we really are in terms of yes. just like our background, our sexuality, like, yeah, bring your full self. But I think your book made me think of it in a different way, which is, yeah, be yourself, but don't feel like, you know, you need to merge this boundary beyond what you want to merge. Yeah. Cause I think the, for the most part, companies don't know what to do with your whole self. <laughs> your colleagues don't know, like we're messy, dark human beings. We have light, we have dark, we have good, we have bad, like we're very mixed. Right. And when they say things like, you know, companies go like, oh, you know, bring, bring your whole self to work. We're very supportive of mental health here. Uh, they we're don't a actually, family. We're a family. They don't actually mean that. I think they have the best intentions where they just kind of want to deal with like the superficial kind of very mild versions of someone's authentic self. But the system is not set up to support anyone's full self, your whole self, all of the dark bits, all of the messy bits, as well as the good. Um, so I, I, in the book, I kind of go, you know, be, you can be yourself, but maybe it's like you light, you know, <laughs> knowing that they can't deal with everything. And it's kind of up to you to figure out where that, where that line is of being yourself, being authentic, but also kind of knowing this is a professional working environment. And maybe you guys don't need to know <laughs> all of it because can they hold space for you? Can they really kind of appreciate and celebrate your whole self? That's probably not down to work. That's probably more like friends, partners, family territory, you know? I mean, on, on that note, actually, of managers and bosses, I really want to touch on this because, 
I think in lockdown, our relationships have changed slightly, I suppose, with micromanaging that traditionally is someone like peering over your screen or calling you in for meetings every five minutes. It's horrible. No human being wants someone breathing down their neck. No. But now in lockdown, a, a few friends of mine actually have been really struggling. Like it's taken a real hit to their mental health with this surveillance culture of a boss that wasn't necessarily micromanaging them in the office, but now they've turned into this crazy like monitoring system where they're checking whether they're replying to emails. If they're not on Slack, they're getting told off. I just thought we could talk about it for a little bit just because people are struggling with that, I think. Yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) It's, um, and I think if you've worked, if you've ever worked in a a flexible position before, or perhaps you've worked with, uh, your manager might be in a different country. I think we've probably had a a glimpse of this or just an elusive boss who is never in the office. So they're just constantly chasing you virtually. Um, But yeah, it is extremely uncomfortable. And I think part of it is, okay, on the whole, we don't have enough management training. There are so many people who are people managers who should not be, we shouldn't be holding it as this position of success. You should have an equal um, position where you're just a contributor. You don't have to manage people as well. Okay. So there's that. But then on top of it, you have so many people who have never, ha- I mean, and rightly so have never had to manage a team remotely. They've never worked remotely and the workers themselves are struggling because they've never had to do this before. We struggle to ask for what it is that we need at work anyway doing that in a pandemic while working remotely when things are incredibly uncertain and everyone is very paranoid of losing their job adds another layer to it. And then from a manager's perspective, they've never done this before, you know, and it kind of plays into all of our, not our best self, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if a manager is feeling pressured and they have this team that they don't know what necessarily they're working on, maybe people's communication isn't that great. We're still fully, you know, on Slack, email, remote communication is very difficult and it leaves so much space for people to fill in blanks, jump to conclusions. Um, And so it's just a mess. It's a giant mess. And managers have such a responsibility to, to look after their team. And instead, I think a lot of them just kind of go into panic mode. And if their boss is breathing down their neck, well, then they're just going to breathe down the neck of their employees. And remotely, that's just constantly being chased. And it's so much worse because if you're in an office, they can kind of only be on your case so much. But through your phone, through your laptop, I think that's why it's really important to kind of try to stick to time boundaries Mm -hmm. and to be really clear, even if they're not clear with you, being clear with them, like, look, I I cannot answer my phone at 7 p.m. I log on at this time. I log off at this time. If I'm not on Slack, it doesn't mean that I'm not working. It just means that I need to concentrate or don't worry. If I need to go out of the house for an appointment, I will let you know. A lot of it is communication and a lot of it is just so tedious and boring on top of everything else that we're having to deal with at the moment. I really feel for people who are having to deal with that. It's 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 really tough. Mm, yeah, and we're all still learning. But I did love how your book, it does empower people, I think, to set the boundaries, be honest and communicate better. Like it's not always just up to the manager as well to read no. people's minds. And I liked the bit in the book, actually, when you said we're not at school, because sometimes (laughs) 
Sometimes I talk to my friends and I'm like, why are we acting like we're not in our 30s? We're people who are adults and yet we are sort of acting like we're being told off or we don't know what to do. So I like, I really like that in the book. You're kind of telling people as well, you know, go and tell people what you want as well. Yeah, it's very easy. And I, I have really struggled with this in, in not making uh, management figures until like, authority figures that kind of stunts me like it's yes okay they have technically have more authority than you do but they're not your parent they're not your teacher like they're not in charge of you (laughs) in that sense like you are a grown adult and you are working together and it's just the system in this company means that you answer to them it doesn't mean that they're like more important than you actually. (laughs) So it's like having to shift. I think work just brings out these really weird, like young kind of like Freudian um, things in our subconscious where we shift into really kind of basic sort of like, okay, you're, you're the parent, I'm the child, those sorts of dynamics. And it's so hard to like work yourself out of those and go, I am an adult. What are we doing? (laughs) We're in our (laughs) thirties. On that Freudian thing, it's so true because in your book, you talk about comparison as well, but through a different lens, because I think a lot of people talk about comparison in modern times with like comparing yourself to a random person on Instagram who's always in Bali or Mm. something. But you (laughs) specifically talk about that kind of weird rivalry and it kind of reminds me of like sibling rivalry where you're jealous of someone actually that's sort of in your building or on the desk next to you or someone that's yeah. really close to you. And I thought that was such an interesting chapter. Did you did you feel like that came up a lot in what people, you know, what was bumming people out? Yeah, it's and it, I felt like it was important to talk about simply because I don't think we really talk about it enough because mm-hmm. it makes us super uncomfortable. And I think I've been in a unique position of working um, in a few offices that were very um, predominantly women. And this is something that I feel, of course, you can feel envious and competitive with a male colleague, but I think that that dynamic is different. I think that there's a very specific kind of uh, envy, comparison, uh, competitiveness that can exist between two women at work, whether they are on the same level or whether one is older and they report into them or switch sometimes as well because as someone pointed out in one of my events they're like you know sometimes you can be a young manager and have people reporting into you they're much older and I was like that is a very good point and that is a completely different dynamic as well um it's something that I have really struggled with throughout throughout my life and my career it's something that I've witnessed uh that has caused a lot of drama in offices And I just don't think that we talk enough about one, accepting that those feelings are normal and that we haven't been taught how to kind of healthily compete with other women in a good way because one woman raising her game and doing amazing stuff is good. And it can make you go, oh, well, I want to do that too. You know, and Mm. that's a good dynamic and that's a good kind of healthy way of looking at it. But instead we... (laughs) we just sink into like the worst versions of ourselves sometimes and it's really difficult and I think it's something that I've experienced I've witnessed and I feel like if we just kind of acknowledged it it would make stuff so much easier 
It's so true. And I feel like this is the stuff that I wish I'd been taught before going into the workplace. Like these feelings will come (laughs) up. I mean, it's so, it's almost cliche actually how much that came up, especially when I worked in magazines. Kind of you, it's like the really Devil Wears Prada setup where you've got an older woman who's threatened by younger women who know more about technology, but then you're threatened by them because they're this like, powerful person who you you want to be like and then yes. and and actually you're not working together it's a horrible competitive environment yes. and i think that's why people don't talk about it because it's almost like oh really we're still we're still doing this <laughs> it's like, embarrassing <laughs> it it's embarrassing and cliche and and it, it, which makes it like, like i don't god i really don't want to admit that this is the problem <laughs> this is the problem it's you know stereotypes a lot of them come from they come from somewhere right there's always some truth to those things it's just so irritating when it's when it's it feels so basic you're like oh god okay <laughs> <laughs> yes that makes so true um also another bit about your book that i loved and yeah i'm just jumping around to chapters that oh, i love it <laughs> i just laughed out loud um was the girl boss generation <sighs> because it's really interesting to me because I feel like when I read Lean In in 2014, I yep. loved it. I like mm-hmm. slept with it under my pillow and I was like, wow, feminism. Um, I mean, I, mean, I must have been like... <laughs> I love that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I must have been like 25 when that came out. That's not, yeah. even, that's not even that young. But like... But it hits different. <laughs> it felt of its time in many ways. And then suddenly a year on, it is old news and everyone's just like, actually, that doesn't make sense. It's so interesting though, isn't it? How how we are progressing and moving on and how things are becoming outdated quite quickly. It's kind of a good yeah. thing in a way. I think I think it's a good thing. I think that it's just so complex. And I think that the way that kind of mainstream feminism, of which I will talk about very clunkily, if that's even a word, <laughs> because it it's so it's so kind of hard to talk about because it's multifaceted. It is um, really dynamic. Feminism should always be intersectional. And we have this sort of pink, white brand of feminism that was very predominant in, you know, 2010, 2013, in that sort of girl bossy, lean in era. And now it has evolved I think, as you said, it's such a good thing because people are calling each other out and being like, no. And, you know, feminism historically has always had infighting, right? But it feels different. This doesn't feel like infighting to me. It feels like holding each other to account and women being allowed to hold each other to account. And it's good to go, you know, what is what's what is this kind of pink version of of entrepreneurship and why does it need to be watered down and why does it feel dumbed down? And what is this relationship between feminism and capitalism that so many of those sorts of brands and clubs are a part of? And it's uncomfortable, but again, it's like, we have to talk about it. We absolutely have to talk about it. And I love that it's it's evolving and that people can just kind of go, yeah, that kind of version of all that stuff isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Cause I think that that's the point, right? Like we should be able to go, make decisions. This is for me. This is not for me. You can go there. I'm going to go here. And that's fine, even if we disagree. And then also agreeing that there are some things that you just can't disagree on. And that's fine too. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And exactly in that chapter, I think 
for me, I was like, okay, this book at the heart of it, I feel, is helping the reader come to terms with what they actually want from their own life. Because the marketing of the lady boss entrepreneur, it it, it has got out of hand and it's making people, (laughs) and it's making people doubt themselves. It's making people feel like they're wrong or they're not enough. And and actually, there's really nothing wrong with, with looking at it and thinking, okay, you're selling me a concept here, but actually I'm going to do my thing over here. It's working out yes. well for me. There's nothing wrong with um, having a job that you like and yeah. not like waving the girl boss flag. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, I really, <laughs> the thing is I really wanted to write a book that was for your average worker, because so many business books, as you know, are like, this is about hustling and being a CEO and you have to strive for this. And this is how you get funding. And everything is about a very specific, like pink version of what the tech bros in Silicon Valley are doing. And they're not just for people who are like, well, you know, I just want to, I just want to make some money. Like, I just want to pay my rent and actually I've realized that I don't care that much about this. What I really care about is my music that I do, or, you know, I'm really fulfilled just spending time with my friends and family and doing a good enough job at work and making enough money to where we can live where we want to live. And I just want to surf at the weekends, like good for you. (laughs) Like, I think it is so hard to really kind of ask yourself what it is that you want and to be okay with, if it does not look like the patterns or the things that you see on Instagram or what a lot of books are telling you that you should want. Yeah. So yeah, no, you absolutely nailed it. At the heart of it is, is that it's, you can be okay not being a CEO. You can just do whatever it is that you want to do. As long as like, as long as you're actually doing the thing that you want to be doing, doesn't matter what it looks like. Exactly. And I think that's the beauty of walking into a bookstore, which I hope we can do one day. Oh, that um, would not be nice. Because <laughs> sometimes you know what you want. Like you go into the bookshop and you're like, actually, I want a book about this because mm-hmm. I want to be this. And then you go mm-hmm. and get it and you take it home. Whereas I feel like your book has filled this gap of like, do you know what? I I just know that I want to get through the day a bit better and take a bit more control and find that work will fit in with my life a bit more. I just think it's um, so great. That's such a really, really nice compliment because that's exactly what I was hoping, (laughs) what what I was hoping would come across and the kind of space that I was hoping to fill. And then if they decide that they want to go on and do something um, different or whatever, wonderful, but being able to get through the day and to know that you're not crazy and that perhaps you are being gaslit at work. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I might be wrong about this, but when I was reading it, I felt like you, in a way, you were sort of writing to your past self who was a bit lost because in it, in it, you talk about getting yourself back on your feet, which you have done. Things are going really well, but it was almost like you had to get there. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) before I've had people ask me like, so why did you write this book? And I was like, is a selfish need to process what I'd been through over the last few years. Um, I feel like that's why know. everyone writes books though. They're yeah, just like, sure. I, I, I'm, I need to get this out. <laughs> yeah. This is actually for me and I just need to get it out. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was a huge healing process, really. It was a way of reflecting. It was a way of healing. It was a way of processing and turning kind of all the crap that I had been through 
uh, into something good. And then also specifically not just making it about me and interviewing loads of experts and other people um, to kind of give what I was saying, wait, because mm-hmm. otherwise, if it's just my, my opinion from having a hard time, that's one thing. But if it's, you know, my advice, my opinions that also match well with what other people have experienced. Cool. Yes. Yes. Another thing I loved, um, just reading them off is, um, (laughs) I, your book made me rethink my thoughts about the five-year plan because Mm. I, I think in the past I've probably said, well, we don't need one. Why, why would we think about a five-year plan? Because (laughs) It's sort of really, to me, it felt like a really redundant question because I was like, well, I don't know what I'm even doing next week. But yeah. I love the book, the bit in your book because actually you reframe it as a really lovely exercise that I'm going to do. I've written it down and I'm like waiting for the right moment because it's one of those exercises I feel like is kind of part therapy of like writing down your age and the future and where you want to be and visualizing it. I thought it was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, I was very much with you. I was in the camp of like, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. What do you mean? Like, I just, I never, I just hated that question. But now I know there's probably a real reason why I hated that question because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, and I write about the kind of the process that I kind of went through in this exercise. But it, that, I mean, I'm I'm living and I'm working on the stuff that, me three years ago discovered doing that exercise of what is it that you want in five years, right? For two minutes, go. (laughs) And all this stuff came out. Um, And I'm, yeah, I'm proud that I'm still working on that and have kind of, I think it's important to reevaluate things obviously, but I think being able to actually say, no, I'm doing, I'm doing the stuff that I, that I realized I wanted to do and I've stuck with it is, is a nice feeling. And I guess just on that last note of um, this being a book about work, something that stood out to me as well was the work that we have to do on ourselves Mm -hmm. separate to the work that pays us. A theme that kind of came out for me as well was the fact that you have done a lot of work and we all should. And I don't know, we all have different access to different things, but um, you actually, what's the word? (laughs) Dedicate. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Dedicate the book to your therapist and your partner, which I noticed. Yeah. It was a really lovely yeah. touch because you kind of sprinkle bits throughout the book of your own psychotherapy mm. work, you know, relationship with your therapist. I thought it was, that was great as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> I had like a really, it was just, it was a lovely but strange moment where uh, I had a copy of the book and I was going to send it to my therapist and like I signed it and like, sent her a message and then I realized I was like I've dedicated this book to you (laughs) signing it I'm sending it to you it's like a physical representation of the work that we had done Um, I'm still in it I'm six and a half years into psychotherapy and I can't see myself leaving anytime soon Um, but it's it's been such and as you said not everyone has access to that and that in itself is a whole other conversation, but I found that that works best for me. And I'm very lucky to have found somebody that I've been able to work with for such a long time, but it has been one of the most important things that I've done for myself. It's been one of the most important relationships that I have and has, was completely integral to not only writing this book, but surviving all of the work situations that I was in. Um, it's, if it's something that you're interested in, if it's something that you feel in your bones, you might want to do one day. 
I cannot recommend whatever form of therapy you feel might suit you enough because it's not easy. It can be really boring. It can be really hard, but it helps. Mm. It really does help. That's so lovely. And I, and I also feel that there are many different ways now that it might not be traditional therapy, but even having a trusted and certified life coach or someone yes. who can help you outside of work. I feel like it's becoming more normalized that you, there's nothing wrong with you if you need just a little bit more help. Yes. Um, cause sometimes we just need that external voice to put, you know, put us on the right path again. Yes. Because they can frame things in a way that if your sister tells you or your friend tells you or your partner tells you, you can go, you can get defensive and be like, oh, no, but it's not that. That's not the thing, you know, but it's different when somebody else who is like an authority figure, but their job is to listen to you and to give you a, a fresh opinion uh, that's free of bias of being your, your lover or your, your family member. And they just go, oh, but what about this thing? And then you go, oh even though you probably had 10 other people suggest the same thing, it's different when it comes, it comes from somebody like that. Yeah, totally. Oh, well, thank you so much for this conversation. It's such a great book. It's in a beautiful hardback, glorious cover and um, everyone listening, go and buy a copy. It's literally like a one-stop shop for feeling better about work. So highly recommend. Thank you so much, Emma. <laughs> 